Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you do, grab a Bible. Matthew chapter 28. The book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And if you need a Bible, there's one under a seat nearby you. Uh, and just, just invite you into the scriptures with us this morning in the book of Matthew. Uh, uh, we're going to look at the final uh, verses in this book. And if you've uh, navigated the Bible before, or you're familiar with the Bible, uh, you know that the final verses of the book of Matthew often have a title that kind of uh, a banner over them, and, and that title is called the Great, the Great Commission. And if you're newer to the Bible, um, I, my hope today is that as we walk through uh, the Great Commission, that the Lord would explode your heart for this awesome thing He's invited us into. Um, my hope for you, if uh, you have read the Great Commission hundreds of times, and you've heard 25 messages on the Great Commission, my hope is that the Lord would do the same in our hearts today to really understand the depths and, uh, of the awesomeness of what he's called us into uh, to join with him in the transformation of the entire globe by making disciples. And now, I realize um, probably in our daily language, we don't, uh, we don't use the word commission every day. And so what is a commission? A commission is an instruction or a command or a duty given to a person or a group of people. And so when we think about what this word means, that um, we've been given an instruction, a command, or a duty by someone that we are going to find has all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, my prayer today is that this would carry the weight in our heart that God um, has given this commission that Jesus has left us with. And so um, here's what I hope, that as we walk through these couple verses um, at the end of the book of Matthew, uh, think of this as kind of the classroom. Um, we're going to talk about it, uh, the principles of this passage, and we're sitting in the classroom. Um, but I hope that today all of us would re be ready to uh, apply the teaching of this out in the lab, which is uh, the life we live. That as we walk through the Great Commission, I literally want us to be thinking about what does the Great Commission look like for me lived out when I go to work on, not tomorrow, Tuesday, Right. Um, when I walk back into my neighborhood, I was thinking about this last night. I was on a walk um, in our neighborhood last night, and um, because of the long weekend, so many people out in their backyards with so many family and friends, like just back on patios, hanging out back in pools, and I'm just looking at all these people as I'm walking by on the sidewalk, and I'm like, how does the Great Commission impact the way that I live amongst these neighbors right here? Man, I hope today that the Great Commission would impact some of you who are sitting here thinking about college decisions, that this would have bearing on that. I know like some of you students are just thrilled that like you just had your last day of school and then the last thing you want to think about is the first day of school, right? But I hope the Great Commission today will impact the way you think about how you go back to school next year. And uh, we're talking about, it's, uh, we have this week and the next week is the last message in our series that we're calling Vitals. And we, you know, I've told you over and over again, just like uh, kind of the thought of this series came from just like when you go to the doctor and they take these vital signs and those vital signs give an indication of physical health. We're looking at some things that give us an indication of spiritual health. And as we come down towards the last couple weeks of this series, we're talking about that healthy disciples of Jesus are reproducing disciples of Jesus. And so, uh, Jesus doesn't have a category for a disciple that's not a disciple maker. And, and sometimes I think we look at the Great Commission and we're like, oh, that's a missionary passage, 
Like, that's what you preach at missionary conferences. And I, my hope today is that we would all see, yes, it is a missionary pr- uh, passage. And yes, healthy followers of Jesus all are missionaries in the mission fields in which the Lord has assigned them. And so um, let's walk through this. And um, as we do, we're going to look at three building blocks of the Great Commission. The first thing we're going to look at is the authority of the one who gives us this commission. Uh, the second thing we're going to look at is the, what is the commission? What is the command? What is the instruction? What is the marching order that is given to us? And then thirdly, we're going to look at this beautiful promise that the one who gives us the, this command has promised us in this. And so pray with me, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word. Father, um, we just ask now that you would speak. Would you make us people zealous for this commission you've left us with? Would we understand uh, your authority in giving it to us? Would we understand clearly the command you've left us with? And would we understand the promise, Lord, that you've made to go with us in this? God, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I think our great tendency is to rush right to what uh, is unpacked for us in verse 19. Let's get right to the command. What does Jesus tell us to do? Come on, let's rally, let's go. And that's kind of how my personality is. You've probably figured that out. I'm kind of an exhorter. Let's go. What did he tell us to do? Let's go do it. But if we fly right past what he said in verse 18, I fear that what he tells us in verse 19 and 20 won't have quite the weight in our heart that it needs to have. And so look again at what verse 18 tells us. And Jesus came and said to them, all, what's the word? All what? All authority, where? In heaven and has been given to me. And so uh, first thing, uh, write it down right here, and we want to spend some time camping out on this. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Think about that. Like, let's just kind of slow down the sermon train here for a minute to understand what it means that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, Let me just say it differently, and maybe this will grip our heart. There's nothing happening in the heavens that's outside of the authority of Christ. And there's nothing on earth that is outside of the authority of Christ. All authority in the heavens and on earth has been given to King Jesus. And just let's talk about what authority is. Authority gives the right to give orders. It's what authority does. So the, the one in authority, and God has established a authority structures even in the world that we live. It's the one in authority who, get, who has the right to give instructions. And now here's the thing. All of us like to give instructions, right? 
But sometimes we all aren't in positions of authority to give instructions. When you think about the one who's going to give this commission, the one who's going to give this, these marching orders, and then you think about there, there is nothing in the realm of the heavens and on this earth that is outside of his authority. There is no more authoritative one who could possibly speak an instruction or a command or a commission to us than King Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Now, there's two important implications of this, I think. One is this. Um, Understanding that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth gives the command he's going to give us the proper weight. It's going to give it the proper weight in our life. Um, Hopefully, then, the command that we're going to hear, if it has the proper weight, we won't read it and go like, "Ah, if I get around to it. Parents, how's that work in your house? Hey, honey, can you go make your bed? Yeah, if I get around to it. No, how's that go in your house? Like, the, like, when, like when we understand, like, the one who has authority in heaven and on earth is now commissioning us to something, like, the proper weight sets in in our heart that, like, he's given us a command here. He's given us a commission here. He's left his followers with marching orders here. And when the one with all authority in heaven and on earth gives us a command, like, there's a weight there, a good weight. I'm not saying like, a, oh, man, now i got to do this. Not an anxious weight. Not a, not a, not a weight of like, man, i I got to do this so that I can earn the love of God more. No, a, 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 a glorious weight prompted by the love we've already experienced in our own heart through following Jesus. Here's the thing. Fulfilling the Great Commission isn't like, let me go do this so I can earn more of God's love. Fulfilling the Great Commission by the followers of Jesus is I've experienced the great love of Jesus in my heart, and I want everyone to know that in their heart as well. And so it gives it the proper way. That's an important implication of verse 18. But secondly, knowing that, The one with all authority in heaven and on earth gives us this commission here. It brings peace and confidence and comfort in obeying the commission he's given us. Like, the king of kings is telling us to do something. Like, there's great comfort in that. Think about um, maybe, you know, and I'm... I'm kind of building this illustration on the fly here. So either sink or swim. Let's judge that after, okay? Think of, um, think of a time that maybe you've been given a command by someone um, in authority over you. And then like in a not great model of leadership, someone in authority over them gives you another command that's uh, opposite than the one you just got from the other person, Right? And so, like, you begin in your head to kind of sort through, like, what do I need to do? I'm given two opposite commands here, but I think I need to go with the one who has more authority in the organization or whatever. And so you start to do it. And then this person who told you to do something else is like, what are you doing? I told you not to do that. And you're like, I know, you told me not to do that, but he told me to do it, so I'm going to do what he said. And you can fulfill that command with confidence because one in authority gave it to you. There is confidence that there is no higher authority that could give us something to do than King Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's great peace in that. Like, Lord, am I doing the right thing? Are you making disciples? You're doing the right thing. So let's not fly by verse 18. 
Because often I want to fly by verse 18 and like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? There's so much beauty in the great commission of what Christ is going to do. And he's this one with all authority is going to leave us here with this commission, this instruction. And, and then we get to that here in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so if the first point, we're looking at the authority of the one who gives the command. The second point is we got to understand what the command is. And here's what the command is. He commands me to go and make disciples. This is the clear command that um, Jesus has left us with. And now think about who he's talking to. It tells us in verse 16 that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. These are guys who for the last three years of their life, they have walked with Jesus, they have followed him. And so when they hear the word, go and make disciples, they totally, like there's no one on the face of the earth right now who understands better what Jesus is talking about than these guys right here. A disciple is a student or a learner or a follower. And they've been following Jesus for these three years. And now Jesus turns to them and it says, do you know what you've been experiencing in these last three years of following me, of being my student, of being my learner? Now I commission you. Here are your marching orders. Go and make disciples. Go and multiply yourself into more, into the making of more disciples of Jesus Christ. And now, um, kind of three parts of this portion here that I think are important. If we're commanded to make disciples, to multiply ourselves into seeing more learners, more students, more followers of Jesus, um, what do we do with this go piece here? First word of verse 19, go, go therefore, go and make disciples. Um, often, like, this is the anthem cry that you'll see at, like, a missions conference, and rightfully so. It should be. Um, but this is the part when you're like, oh, go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, that's a missions verse. Like, this is for people who God is calling overseas. There's something in the construction of this go word that also gets to, yes, those God is calling to foreign nations, but also to those God is calling just to go back to their neighborhoods. Like, this carries with it, and as you go, make disciples. As you go to work this week, make disciples. As you walk down your stairs to your kitchen table for breakfast and you have these little munchkins sitting there with you, how are you making disciples? As, as, as you think through the routines of your life, the family you interact with, the friend groups you have, how are you intentionally going and making disciples? And so, yes, this go thing is a to-the-nations thing, but don't miss the impact for those God won't call to move to the nations, but will call to just drive back into your neighborhoods today. Feel the implications of this go thing. And now, we got to do something with the all-nations piece, though, because we are told here, um, 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Uh, how, how do we make disciples of all nations? Um, I would just encourage the Christian sitting here. Very practically, to really wrestle with how is God calling me to be part of disciple-making around the globe? And we're gonna, I'm going I'm to kind of lay out some, some specifics here of maybe what that looks like for us. But let me say this. Um, for the Christian sitting here, when the company you work for has a, uh, an opportunity overseas, don't be quick to assume that that's not you and your family. Like, you know, don't see that on the job board or whatever in, like, England. Pff, no way. That's not us. Like, middle, like, move, like move my family to Jordan. No, no way. That's not us. Don't assume too quickly that how good is God sometimes to move Christians through their companies to other parts of the world on their company's dime? Come on. Come on, y'all. The Lord's efficient in how he does this. So don't, I'm just saying, like, I think we're quick to assume, like, yeah, like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do some of these other things. I'm going to get to most of us in the room who, who God will never move to another nation. But i just praying today that there's, there's hearts sitting in here who are burdened for other parts of the globe, or you didn't even know you were burdened for other parts of the globe, but sitting here and wrestling with the Great Commission, you're like, what would it look like for us? to move to the nations. So don't, don't be quick to assume that these principles I'm going to give here are like, yeah, yeah, we're the ones who are all about, like, how do we do that by staying here, okay? But now, let me talk to those of us who might never move to another country. How do we make this, how do we there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations by never leaving this nation here or never moving from this nation here? Um, number one is this. Pray for the nations. I'll let you write it down, then I want you to look at me. Okay? Understand that the first point here isn't a point that the pastor has to put before he puts all the other points. Like, what would it really look like to build a framework in our day of praying for the nations? You're like, where do I start? Eh? Spin the globe. Do you even have a globe anymore? Like, get on your phone, right? Spin Google Maps and go Argentina. Uh, let me give you a great resource for this. www.prayercast.com. Prayercast.com. Because I think you're like, okay, what do I pray for the nations? Uh, prayercast.com has a uh, video recorded prayer for every nation on the globe that will guide you through praying for the nations. And so what, what is just part of your daily quiet time with the Lord? Um, what if it ends with just pulling out a phone and, and praying through a nation um, and asking that God would multiply disciples in that country who could then multiply disciples across that continent and pray for the nations? Number two is this, give to the work of making disciples of all nations. One of the most impactful 
conversations with a missionary overseas. He, he was a native missionary. So he, he wasn't an American missionary who went to another country. He was a, a pastor within his native country. And um, I could tell he was a bit uneasy to say this, but, you know, I just get like, what can we do for you? Like, how can we support the work that you're doing? And how can we help you? And I could tell he was, like, uneasy. And I'm like, I, am, I, am I being offensive? Like, I, you know, I'm really asking. And he didn't want to say this, but, th- but he finally did. And, and I'll never forget the Lord using this. And, and he just said, Pastor, often what you guys have in the West is sound theology and money. He said, your sound theology and your resources can advance the work here in a great way. And, like, this is so true. Do you know that often, like, we go to other parts of the world thinking we're going to tell, like, the people in India how to make disciples of Jesus better than they know how to do, and they're Indians, and they're from there. Like, they often know what they're doing. They need resources to come support their work. And God with kind of, in general, the culture and the context we live in, we have resources that can support the work of global missions. Let's just ask the Lord, would you make us radically generous to see disciples made across the nations? Uh, Go. What if you never move from this nation, but um, short-term mission trips can do something radical in your heart that changes the way that you see the world? Often, in my experience, and if you've been on one, you might agree with this, often we go on short-term mission trips thinking, like, we're going to go and give something to them, and we fly back on the plane, and you're like, I'm so confused because I got something out of that way more than I thought, like, we were, that I gave. Like, the, the balance, you know, if we put the balance, like, those natives just gave me way more flying back. Than, and when what I think God does is he expands our worldview. I've told you many times, standing on the continent of Africa just expanded my worldview outside of, at the time, like this little teenager living in West Michigan. And like I never would have said it with my mouth, but my God was a teenager West Michigan God. Man, God's the God of the nations. And there's something about when we go And kind of, you know, we're going to turn four as a church here this fall. And this is one of the areas that in the next season of our church, I'm excited to continue to develop. How do we give opportunities for our people to get around the world on short-term missions so that God can burden us for areas so that that might be a little seed that then would lead you to move to that place? Or if it doesn't lead you to move to that place, you now at least have specific faces and names to pray for and specific places to give your resources to so that the work can advance there. And so pray, give, go. And then don't miss this one. How do you make disciples of all nations without moving from this nation? Make disciples of those God brings from the nations to your neighborhood. You get what I'm saying there? I'll ne- I mean, I'll never forget in, in like our little neighborhood park, um, I'm sitting there on a bench and another family comes up and I'm talking to the dad there um, while my kids are probably falling off the playground and stuff, but it was a great conversation. I'm like, you'll live, rub some dirt on it. Um, and it just him, like, him going, you know, like, hey, where are you from? And I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, originally. Where are you from? He's like, Chennai, India. And I don't even know if I said that right, but Chennai, India. And, like, walking away from the park that day, I was like, what if that guy met Jesus? And what if then one day after he met Jesus, the Lord called him to move back to Chennai? 
And now you have a disciple going back to his nation or his city who can make more disciples. And so let's just be faithful to when God brings the nations here into our neighborhoods, how do we make disciples of Jesus of them? Because God might take them back to their country and they can be effective in multiplying disciples. And so we have here, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And let's not, again, let's not just farm this out or subcontract to those God has called to vocational missions. Let's see our role in this command as well. And now, Jesus is so good to us that he doesn't just tell us, go make disciples. There's a third piece like of this, and I'm not to the third point, and I'm still on the second point. I'm on the third sub-point of the second point. Okay, we good? Um, he's so good to us that he tells us, like, how, how, do, how do we do this? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus miraculously saves a heart, the gospel becomes effectual. He calls them to himself, and then he says, okay, now baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lead them into a public declaration of their faith in King Jesus. And this is why, like this right here, is why you see maybe something a little different than you've seen in church before, but you'll often see in next Sunday's a baptism service. You don't want to miss that. Um, thank you. Um, You'll often see at our church, like, someone baptizing who doesn't hold the title of, like, pastor or any church staff. And, you know, sometimes, like, people come, they're like, can, can, can that happen? Like, can you do that? And what we believe is if the Great Commission is an all-believer thing, then all believers should experience the joy of baptizing new believers in the faith. Like, I'm, I'm telling you all. The best part of a baptism service is when you, a disciple, have baptized a newer disciple in the faith and you get the wet hug after it. I don't want to rob you all of that wet hug. It is one of the best experiences. And so um, this is why, like, you see this here. There's intentionality to that. And so he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now... Um, Here's a part of the Great Commission that often gets buried. You know, this, this builds off of where we were last week, like share your faith. Go tell people about Jesus. And often when you think of the Great Commission, people often think go tell people about Jesus. And then baptize them. And we're like, woo, new convert, and he's pro proclaimed his faith in Jesus. Boom, where's the next one? And yes, 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 let's get to the next one. But let's not, let's not leave this one like an orphan in their new faith of like trying to, okay, what do I do now? So I'm, I know Jesus, but what do I do now? Don't miss this last part of the Great Commission. And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So then we take a new disciple, we take a young disciple, and we begin to teach them to observe all that Jesus has told us to do, all of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is where, for many different reasons, the Great Commission often can begin to lose steam. And it loses steam because, you know what, this is hard work. And you know what, this takes um, this takes lengthy intentionality. Like you, there, there is no, you know, you go to, uh, um, you know, 
how to change a tire for dummies book, you know, like the, the yellow books, like how to do this for dummies or whatever. Like there is no how to do this for dummies book when it comes to discipling. It just takes faithful week in, week out, day in, day out, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Um, it, it, it can be frustrating because you know when a little toddler starts to toddle, and they take five steps and they fall down? Like, I bet when your toddler started to toddle, he didn't take five steps and then fall down. You're like, come on, man. What's wrong with you? No, we celebrate the five steps in the fall. And I'm not saying we're celebrating the fall like when our, when our new disciples sin. I'm just saying it can be frustrating when you're like, oh, I thought they had that. And then they fell. And, oh, I thought I had that. And I fell. And you, just, you walk with. Um, it can be hard because you know what the Lord convicted me of on this aspect of the Great Commission? I often want to prepackage this teaching aspect. Here's what I mean by that. I'm like, yeah, I'm fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm doing it with some guys in the congregation right now. Like, I'm fulfilling, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. We meet for an hour every week at a coffee shop. Oh, no laughter on that. We're all convicted, right? <laughs> You're like, isn't that what it means to teach them to observe? I know, I'm convicted about that. Yes, I think it is an hour a week at a coffee shop with Scripture open, but you know what I'm convicted about? I also think it's inviting them into life. And just, hey, like, I don't see Jesus just taking the 12 to the Sea of Galilee coffee shop. Hey, see you next Wednesday at 7 a.m., I'm convicted about that because how I've often been doing Great Commission, teach them to observe, is just, hey, one hour a week at a coffee shop, and I'll see you next week. And, and again, I'm not knocking. I think that has a place. I think that's really important. I'm saying I'm convicted. How do I invite them into my life outside of that time? Like, what does it look like to do life-on-life -life discipleship? And I know what you're thinking, because as soon as like, the Lord started convicting me with that this week, I'm like, Lord, who has time for that? I don't think we have to make time for it. I think we invite those God is leading us to disciple into the time we already have cut out. Guess what? I'm willing to bet you're all going to eat dinner tonight. We're going to have dinner. This young couple we're discipling is going to have dinner. What if we had dinner together? Uh, we're looking, we, you have house projects that you do. Come on. <laughs> Invite your young, hey, I got a tree to cut up. Guess what? You want to come over? We're going to cut up a tree. <laughs> Better yet, their car's broke and you hear them say, hey, I'm, I'm fixing my brake Saturday morning. What does it look like for you to just enter into their fixing their brake time? And as you fix breaks, to be modeling and teaching what it looks like to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Man, what God could do in our congregation if we would really be a people committed to like life-on-life -life discipleship. Yes, an hour at a coffee shop during the week and then hours outside of the coffee shop just doing life together. Your greatest temptation will be to say, who has time for that? I don't think Jesus is asking us to carve out extra time. I think he's saying invite him into the time that's already carved out. 
And so he's good to us. Here's the command. Go and make disciples. You know, they come to faith. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And now don't miss this. Okay, here, look at me, look at me, look at me. I've spent too much of the time of my life walking with Jesus, only focused on the commands. Do this, do this, do this, do this. He's about to make such a beautiful promise to us that if you miss, he promises to go with you and empower you in the carrying out of the commands. You will get so tired so fast. Look at what he says here. And behold, end of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the promise he makes. He promises to go with me. Because here's the deal. This making disciples thing, like right now, excuses are already flying through our brain. I don't know. How, what do you, like, I barely have a handle on this thing myself. And now, like, you, Lord, you want me to go teach other people all that you've, you know, commanded in this? Like, I don't even know how to do it. I'm telling you, um, if he's going with you, he will give you the power and the ability to do what he's commanded you to do. The one with all authority in the heavens and on earth is going with you. So of course we don't know what we're doing. But the one who does is going to go with us. And if I divorce the command from his promise to go with me, I will be crippled by fear and I'll have no power to do it. He promises to go with you. Do you remember growing up when um, you were scared to do something and all of a sudden dad or mom said they'd go with you? The confidence that infused in you and oh, can I just confess something to you? Um, <laughs> Erica and I are looking at this like farmhouse renovation thing, you know, because why not? When you have four kids, four and under, why not renovate a farmhouse? And um, <laughs> And it's got one of those, like, old cellars. You know what I'm talking about? Where, like, the last time I was down there, I was like, oh, please don't blow a fuse at, like, midnight and me have to come down here. Like, I, you know, walking my, my dad through this old farmhouse, I'm like, yeah, and here's the basement. And I'm acting like I'm all tough. But, like, as a 31-year-old guy, I'm looking at, dad, you coming? Like, you're coming down here with me, right? Okay, good. I can confess, my wife's not here at this service, so I can confess that, right? <laughs> when dad says he'll go with you, come on. When the king of kings, the one in the authority over the heavens and the earth says, and guess what? Yeah, you don't know how to make disciples. Guess what? I'm going with you. My spirit is in you. Let's walk through this together. Come be my disciple, and I will show you how to go and make disciples. This is the great invitation Jesus gives to us. And so... The fact of the matter is, the one with all authority has called us to it. He has told us how to do it, and he's promised to see us through it. What does it look like for us to orient our entire life around these marching orders he has left to his followers to go and make disciples of all nations? And so very practically, um, we talk about this, and we try to talk about this on a regular basis, very practically. 
We often, you'll often hear us say that we believe God has designed us to flourish in our walk with Jesus when we're living in the middle third. And here's what that means. We just think God has designed following him to be lived out in community. And specifically, there's some intentional relationships in that community that are crucial for us. And that is that there's someone out in front of us, someone who's walked with Jesus longer than we have, someone who's um, 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 more mature than we are in the faith, who is discipling us, pouring into us, teaching us to observe all that Christ has commanded. But then um, health comes not just when we're poured into, but then when we also are being a disciple maker as well and pouring into someone else and tripping and falling and figuring it out and going to the person who's discipling us and saying, how should I disciple them? And my question for us, do you know the joy of living in the middle third? And maybe this week God would lead you to go and ask someone to disciple you. Or maybe this week... God would lead you to go and ask someone if they would like to begin studying the scriptures together and just start doing life together. And if they're like, I don't know, like, what's that look like? You're like, I don't know. We're going to figure it out together. Do you know the joy of living in the middle third? Because Jesus' follower, the king of kings who has authority over all the heavens and the earth, has invited us into this great invitation to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's lean in and find out together the joy and the excitement of obeying him in that. Go make disciples of all nations. Pray with me. Father, Lord, we, uh, we don't want to be followers of yours who who see this passage only as, you know, those you've called to vocational foreign missions. God, we want to personalize this. We want it to change the way that we drive back to our neighborhoods. We want it to impact the way that we make college decisions. We want it to uh, lead us as we go back to school. Lord, we want it to guide us as we interact with our friends. Lord, would we be disciple makers? Would, as we go, we make disciples? Lord, would we get to experience the joy of baptizing new believers in the faith? Lord, would you give us endurance a long-haul picture for what it means to teach them to obey all that you've commanded? Would we be willing to invite people into our lives and into our living rooms and into our dining room tables? And would we do it again and again and again and again? And Lord, when they trip and fall, would we remember that we still trip and fall? Would we not be quick to discard? Would we not just lead people to the Lord and then leave them to figure it out on their own? God, make us disciple makers, Lord. Because we believe that the purpose of our life is your glory. We believe you are glorified as disciples are made and your image is multiplied across the globe. God, let us lean into the great invitation you give us to the great commission. And I pray this now in Jesus' name.